Yep, we are. Recording started. All right, mate. Here we are. This is our podcast. <laughs> they don't want to be locked into a, a house or an apartment or some space. Got to follow the social distancing rule. More social distancing keeps more people healthy. It's like, oh, you guys could have talking shit. Why don't you just do a podcast? As soon as you try to do a podcast, we sound like a bunch of Muppets. G'day, boys. Welcome back. Look, first little bit of admin um, that's just come up as the board, board meeting was about to start. Jonesy just said he's going to hit the intro and then we'll mm. play the intro and then we'll get into it. And then George said, do we have do we have an intro? I thought that intro was just for the when we had guests. Mate, have you listened to any of these shows? Your own like, show? Enough time my day listening to your dribble. I actually don't need to go back and then listen to it again. <laughs> I'm, I'm in and out. This is... As I make this as brief as I can, so no, sorry. But how are we doing? How do they sound? Have you listened back? Do we sound as, as shit as I think we do? Oh, we sound terrible, but people love it. Okay, all right. I, I don't mind um, listening back. Like, it's a bit self-indulgent. And like, I'm like, oh, I make a good point here. So- <laughs> I know it's coming. I yeah. have a real phobia of hearing, well, not phobia, but I like fully cringe when I hear myself speak. Um, like, even if I listen to an interview or on TV, I go, That's, is that me? And then you think, fuck, I do sound like such a dickhead. But I, I, listen, yeah. I listened to last week's show like four times. So when before I chuck it up on the internet, I like try to do a bit of um, – I watch it and I listen to it, try to find a little audio piece to put on the Instagram page, which actually caused a bit of um, controversy last week, that uh, soundbot I picked. But I always listen back to it. And then, what, I, and then the other night – What was the problem? Well, you know that Julian Assange and then the sound that I chose, I thought was hilarious. You just said he was a fucking knob at the end of it. But the, the issue was, I think, there was no context to it. But when you listen to the actual show, there's good discussions and plenty of context to, to what you had said, Jonesy. But the problem that I made, the mistake I made, was I thought, ah, oh, let's get this show out there. So I paid eight bucks or something to promote it on Facebook. And and it obviously went to oh, like I some two dollars or whatever. It went. It went to like the post, didn't you? Yeah, I clicked boost the post, and I thought, oh, this would be mm. awesome. So instead of instead of boosting just the post of like about our show or something, I boosted that audio bite, and it obviously went to some like activist group or something, and then they just came in hot, <laughs> accusing us of being so, fucking knobs. So, and so now I'm a target. Yeah, I deleted it. It cost. It was eight bucks down the drain because I deleted. I, I, they they pigeonhole you and go, all right, mate, eight bucks to promote. But if you want to delete this, it's going to be like that's when they can have you by the balls. But all right, it's going to be pointed to delete this. They, nah. they, they see you backtracking. They can just really squeeze so, you. It brings up a good point though. The Julian Assange um, sycophants, they're pretty passionate. Like you can't really say anything negative about that sort of bloke and character, can you? He's a bit like nah, Armstrong. But- the ones that are really diehard fans, like lay off Lance. But uh, I think there's a big wave of people wanting to get the boots in on the back of the uh, the docker that's just come out. Yeah, mm. but just going back on Julian, like you say, you can't you can't um, call him a knob or you can't call him a bellend. And and we we were I think we were two legends and and one bellend from our panel. But when I put it to the fans, when I put the poll out on social media. Mate, Julian Assange was 75% Bellend, 25% really? legend. Yeah. Yeah, see? He was, was more right. he was more more of a Bellend than Kanye. Kanye was 71% Bellend. I'm concerned about who's watching this podcast. I think we need to 
target a different that's, no, it's a perfect audience it's a perfect audience that's interesting though isn't it they must yeah. it, it must be full on like nah you've you've gone too far julian you know government secrets draw mm. the line buddy yeah i think <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a dangerous trick though when Bills just takes an outrageous statement in the middle of a podcast like and, and just promotes mm. that clip it's a real yeah. it's one of his influencer tricks that he, you know, <laughs> one of the things he's learned as being an influencer is to it's about, to, ga- about gaining traction. Being an influencer is about getting getting bites, and we got plenty. That's a real cycling hey. um, media move as well. Like to like you'll be you'll be doing a sentence, and you mention somewhere in there like, you know, oh your teammate's going well, and then it, you know it'd be like one of those things that then sees it like your teammates sees him as a rival or something. You know, it's like one of those. It's good media, good journalism. Hey, uh, we've got a jam-packed show, eh, Bills? Lot, Mate, uh, lot a lot of content. We've got a lot of content today. We've actually, we've gone just to, um, we're only going to focus on one legend or bell today because we're not going to have enough time with all the content we've got. Um, a big theme's going to be media and, and coverage. And uh, there was a really funny incident that happened in Australia with the uh, Prime Minister uh, yesterday. Uh, I just want to play this little clip for you boys. 10,000 Australians. Can everyone get off the grass, please? Sure. Let's just move back from there. Hey, guys, I've just reseated that. Please, off the thing. Sorry, mate. All good. That's all good. Thanks. So it's the projects that count. Make sure you get off that bloke's lawn. Yeah, so so what happened is he was holding a press conference and he's trod on this bloke's lawn who's just irate and uh, told the Prime Minister and his posse to get off. But uh, that that's just classic Aussie uh, coverage right there. Um, but how's, how's Scott ScoMo just ragging on him at the end? Like... He just wanted him off his lawn. Yeah, yeah exactly. Ripping him out amongst the boys. This is like, and there's there's nothing more frustrating than when you're trying to reseed a patch, and and I noticed that his lawn was on a slant, which makes it even harder. And it's bad enough trying to deal with the crows and the birds eating all your lawn, but you know when people just blatantly disrespect it. And Scomo's not you know popular at the best of times. Um, I don't blame him. I, I and like, and exactly, and it's, I mean, it's his lawn. It wasn't a, it wasn't a great looking lawn, but it, it had some length to it. And it, it's due a mow. And like you say, on a on a slant like that, it's not easy to mow a lawn. So no. the last thing you want to do is have it flattened by scomo. And I think I think this leads to a wider topic. Do you find that um, this whole COVID pandemic, we're really reaching the peak now of people's fuse? Like uh, people will just flip at the drop of a hat. I know that um, things that just didn't piss me off in the past, like just get me shirty now because you're into sort of 12 weeks of lockdown or restrictions or whatever. Um, are you finding that over in Europe? Things are just sort of shitting you that, that never used to or have you gone the other way? I'm, I'm feeling more euphoric than I was because before, I, things were shitting me in a big way when I was stuck inside for two weeks and then suddenly I'm allowed outside. I was stuck inside for eight weeks and then I'm allowed outside. And now I'm like, for the first three weeks at least, I was everything was sweet. You know, I could deal with everything because I was allowed outside. As long as I could ride, I could like see some guys, see the boys, play a bit of, you know, we're playing a bit of cricket and stuff again now. Like everything just seems so good to how it was that I've gone the other way. But I yeah, think- and like it's so it's so far from normal. But like what George says is true because um, it's so far from normal. But it's actually almost normal for us. 
because we can train, which is a big part of our, our day. We can hang out, we can social gather at somebody's house or at a bar or a restaurant with up to 15 people. I don't have more than 15 friends, so that's not an issue. Mm-hmm. And, and we can play cricket with up to 15 people. And so in a sense, we're so far from normality, but for people like us, it's actually pretty normal. Actually, now that I think about it, it's more, I think, the people that have got kids. Oh, because yeah. the, the kids with the lockdown, I think that's what's mentally cooking a lot of these blokes. Like all my mates that have got young kids, I'll ring them up and it, it's the same routine. The first five minutes is this prov- like bravado that sounds like you've got your shit together. Hey, you going, mate? Yeah, yeah, good, mate. Yeah, nah, killing it. And then that all falls down, and then it turns into this D and M twenty-five minute men shared like, no, nah, I'm gonna be honest with you, mate. I'm I'm fucking struggling, eh? <laughs> <laughs> and then it turns into this. Hey, you'll be right, mate. You just gotta hang in there, eh? Like you know, there's gonna be still a lot. Is she? Oh, she's pretty. Yeah. Big. Oh, don't get me started. Like, yeah, I fucking cracked it the other day about this. And it, it, I've done that three times this week for three different blokes. It's all started the same. Like the first two minutes, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. But um, I think a lot of it, yeah, is is kid stress because mm. um, it'd be even worse if you're doing the homeschooling. But um, it's it's getting to the point now where they they just require so much attention and. The routines, like there's only so many times you can go through the Disney Plus catalog. Um, yeah, I think if if you were single or you didn't have kids or whatever, the ability, to, as you said, Bill's like to go play cricket, to go just you know go for a walk or just do whatever you want whenever you want. Um, that'd be awesome. In some ways, our life's even better. Apart from the lack of racing, it's like we don't have to. You know, sometimes you feel like a like a pressure to do stuff because you can, like. Mm. We, but when we weren't allowed to go to the beach, for example, last week, you know, like, I'd be like, oh, it's awesome weather. And I'm a bit pinned from training. And, like, normally you'd be like, oh, shit, I'd, you know, better go to the beach with Caitlin or something or whatever, or whatever. you know, like, I, you feel like it's there. I, sh- I need to be making the most of it. But if you sort of, like, do your training, you've seen the boys and you've, you've had a whatever, good day. But then you realize, like, oh, that's kind of closed. It's closed. I can't really go do this admin. Sweet. I'm just... There's no pressure. I can't do anything. So I might as well not stress about not doing anything and just enjoy being a piece of shit for the afternoon. It was a real. It was a real. Um, the lockdown was a real get out of jail free card for people like you, GB, because yeah. you, you have to go and do stuff with your missus. Now you're like, oh, I should go to the beach with Caitlin. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know you were saying, um, GB, a couple of weeks ago that um, you were sick of the COVID chat with people, or whatever. Mm. Just as a, a random question for both of you, are, I'm becoming more through this pandemic um i like chatting to strangers like the the first like if i go for a run i'll jog past on always go g'day or how you going um are you someone that generally does that around the streets or do you just make eye contact and just keep walking straight i'm i'm personally slightly bipolar with it like if i'm in a good mood i'm high-fiving in random old ladies down the road you know but like if you come back from a shitter, then you're just steaming into your house and like. So, but I do know what you mean, but it's weird because people here have been saying that people have become less friendly. Whereas I feel like, in my experience, I'm more friendly. It's like after an earthquake or something, you know, like you see communities coming together, everyone like helping each other, and you know, it's like oh, well, I just everyone's got a bigger problem than whatever's bothered than whatever's like. Then they've had a bad day, you know? It's like there's a bigger problem going on, so let's just be friendly and everyone waves. And 
that's how I kind of feel like it should go. But a lot of people are saying like out on the bike, at least now people aren't waving, that kind of thing. But I wonder if that's just because people know they're not allowed to be out. And until yes, you know, a few days ago, they weren't allowed to be out. So maybe they were just like, oh, shit, if I don't wave, maybe he hasn't seen me. Because yeah, I find it like, you know what it's like here in Girona Jonesy. It's like there's so many people here that you know that you don't really know, but they all you mm. sort of owe them all small talk when you bump into them street in the street. Mm. And you're constantly bumping into these people when you're when you're going to the supermarket or to the cafe or whatever. And um, that was always a real issue for me. I was always like, ah, oh, I just want. I'm just going to see somebody. It's gonna. I know it's not. It's gonna take me 15 minutes when it should take me five because I'm gonna bump into so many people that I owe small talk to. And it really used to crack me. But after the lockdown, I came out of that like, ah. Oh, I hope it takes me half an hour to get there. Mm. Yeah. You know, a funny experiment is if you see a random and normally people just do one question like they go, hey, or hey, go on, follow it up with another one and just see their reaction. Like if you go, <laughs> hey, and then if they go, hi, you just go, you good? Or if you go, you well? Like it throws them because no one's yeah. ever expecting the, the follow up to a random like double question. Mm. I've been doing that a bit lately too. And then some people react even better because it shows that you're taking more of an interest. Have you ever done something real left field as your follow-up question? Like, hey, mate, hey. Well, no, I had a guy. It started because a guy two weeks ago that I've never met, but I'd seen him walk past, I don't know, a week earlier. He literally followed it up with the second, hey, mate. And I go, yeah, hey. And he goes, are you good? And I go, yeah, I'm good. And, And then he stopped and just started like, how you going with the whole um, COVID stuff? And I'm sort of like, are we really doing this? Like, <laughs> a, a good one for me, a good follow-up for me if I see a girl on the street. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, good. You single? <laughs> <laughs> that's why That's why you're restraining me. This way not allowed. Within 15 metres of the rumble. Yeah. One and a half metres won't be a problem with Buells, I don't think. Hey, um... <laughs> Obviously, there's um, been a bit of a shitstorm going on in in uh, America at the moment. Uh, it's obviously pretty tense. Um, and from a getting back to the media perspective, um, I couldn't help but like whenever things like this happen, you know, I try and watch as much CNN and Fox as I can. And and one thing that was evident is how polished um, a lot of these presenters are. Like I watched one bit of coverage where CNN were crossing to live reporters, and there was a guy on the scene. And literally, he was out the front of a store that was being like there was looters that were going in the front, and the guy in the um, studio literally could sense that the situation was dangerous and said to him, "Hey, mate, I'm going to have to cut you off. You're in a really dangerous spot. Um, get out of there. Like, tell your crews to shut down and just get out of there. Go somewhere safe, and we'll talk to you in half an hour." Literally the next day, I was watching the Aussie media, and they were doing the coverage from. Um, ground Zero in uh, Washington, D.C. Have a look at uh, the difference from the studio going, hey, you're in an unsafe environment, get out of there, to how the Aussies covered it. Let's go to Washington, D.C. Amelia Brace, uh, you're outside the White House where Donald Trump is about to, uh, to speak. It's getting a bit tense. Yeah, absolutely, guys. We've just had to run about a block as police moved in. We've been uh, fired at with rubber bullets. My cameraman has been hit. Uh, we've also seen tear gas being used. Here we go, they're moving through again. This is exactly what it looks like. Exactly what it looks like. We're the state safely Oh. Whoa. Um, oh. Amelia, can you hear us? Amelia, are you okay? Or your cameraman? 
Hello, Amelia. Um, the police just charged at Amelia and um, and our Seven News cameraman there, and looks like a um, a policeman just uh, punched is, our cameraman. Which is interesting because um, they're, they're not discriminating between protesters and the media here. Amelia, yeah. can you hear us yet? Amelia, are you there? Are you okay? So, this is what I can't understand. So, you saw that they were literally on the front line of the riot police. Like, they had the batons, they had the, the screens and whatever. Surely, they don't need to be that close um, to cover the story. Um, there's a there's a fine line. Like, obviously, you know, the cop probably didn't have to give him a Hayfield handshake. But, um, you know, you don't... I think with this coverage, like... Um, Sometimes, obviously, the news reporters, you know, they want to be right there in in the middle and the thick of it. But um, I don't know. My instant gut shot was, couldn't they have been like the radar of the CNN guy the night before? Like, you don't need to be pressed up well, against the cops. I don't know. I, I, I feel like that's, you know, it gives, it gives people a bit of sense of what's going on. But I'm just can't believe that the camp, that the band back in the studio didn't seem to care too much for the reporters at all. <laughs> You're yeah, right, it's just like, hey, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, whole thing, I mean, like, even touching on, like, you probably couldn't find three less qualified people to come, like, three white, um, well, like, middle to probably upper class now males to commentate on whatever's going on, you know, what, what's going on over there. I mean, it just seems. So nuts, but I guess I guess the angle you can come at is, is, is to look at for for you know only for um, the media coverage. But like you're saying, you've been watching Fox News. What, what are you doing doing that? Yeah, no, I, I've been watching um, CNN because it was around the time that um, there was issues with people in New York storming the CNN offices and so forth. Um, but it was just yeah, the the mass obviously with cases like this it, it it becomes a mass hysteria because it's obviously such a big issue um but just the difference on how people are covering this i reckon from my perspective is they need to push um more positive stories like with the um police officers that are marching with the um peaceful protesters because the other issue as well is there's obviously people that are um, opportunistic and looting and, and creating all the violence because there's so much anger. And getting back to what we were talking about earlier, I think with the whole COVID thing, people are frustrated. Like, you know, people have got to the point where it doesn't take much to tip people over the edge. And the other the other thing you really worry about as well is the whole social distancing thing. You're talking about epicenters of um, the COVID outbreak, like in New York, um, and you, you're getting these mass groups together. Like, geez, there might be a second wave you know, coming as a result of all these people getting together and, and protesting on the streets and so forth. But at the same time, um, it's got to the point where, yeah, it's just obviously sickening like the what happened with um, George Floyd and, and um, the, the video footage and, and so forth. But, um, yeah, like it's, it's one of those things where, you know, there's never a right time for um, the the protesting and, and the mass looting and all this sort of stuff but you add COVID on top of that I mean shit what a, what a shocking year 2020's played out so far we're, yeah, in, we're, in, we're into June into June now it's 
Jumanji level six. The, yeah. I, I was watching, um, like you say, Jonesy, they need to just, they need, there is a lot of yeah, the looting and stuff going on. It's a big part of it. But like I watched, I've been watching CNN as well, and they had um, a press conference with the, the mayor of Atlanta. And they had a guy on there. His name was Killer Mike, and he he's the activist. He's a leader of a of a racial equality activist group um, in Atlanta. And man, what he said was so eloquent and so intelligent, and and made so much sense. And he, you know, he he's fighting for for the rights of black people, which they which they should be doing, and well, they shouldn't be doing because it shouldn't be a fucking issue. And um, he was saying, look, the way because the voting started in, in America now for all their however it all works, their senates and rah, 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 all the way up to the presidential election in November, and he's saying the way we we need to we need to protest and we need to fight for this is to go out and vote, vote, educate yourself, vote for the right person that's going to um, implement change, and that's how we that's how we can win. You know, that's how they need to do it, and that's what the the media outlets should should focus on um, on things on stories like that and spreading that word out there to people. I yeah, but like we, we can't pretend to like. I think firstly, I think we're so under like way out of our bloody range for talking about. It, but we can't even pretend to know what it's like to. So like, you, you, who knows what you would do? I mean, this isn't like we talk about like twenty twenty being crazy. Yeah, this isn't the problem of twenty twenty. This could be like this is actually probably like the first step to maybe like resolving a problem that started in seventeen hundreds. I mean, this is what the, the the race riots and and demonstrations. I mean, shit. The riots is the added drama, you know. But the the, the it's, I think it's awesome to see that that so many people are coming out and 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 it, it might actually be like the catalyst for change. Like, but but you know, and then to, for us to sit for anyone who's not there to sit and condemn like people that are oh, we shouldn't be looting and shouldn't be this and that. I mean, it's easy to say yeah, it's not the right thing to do or whatever. But like, how, how pissed would you be if if that was if you were that you know if you were there if you were that minority or that if you were that group that was getting discriminated against i mean like who knows what i do i yeah the, the, and, and and i i i can't say honestly that i wouldn't see this and be like fuck it i need a smash in windows and i i feel for a lot of people that are getting there just you know like there was this you know i saw a bit of stuff about a, a guy coming out saying like man it's my business like i'm from the ghetto too don't destroy you know and it's soft it's unfortunate but like we we can't pretend to to know. No, we're not. We're not. We're not pretending. We're not. We're no. not pretending. We're just. We like you say. I agree with you, George. And like at the end of the day, they're just pissed off, and and rightly so. And and the people are reacting in different ways. We mm. we we um yeah yeah maybe we shouldn't. But we, I mean we 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 have the right to say that. We su- we support what what's happening. Yeah, and and yeah, we, and all we can do is yeah, yeah. I don't think you're treading on any toes by saying people shouldn't be looting because I think you've got to draw a line. Like or everyone's all for protest yeah. and raising awareness yeah, yeah. because, as Billy said, I mean it's it's there's no um it's not a grey area. Like um you know people shouldn't feel that they're discriminate discriminated against because of their their color i you mean think it's nuts that in 2020 right like like i was reading this thing they're talking about like um the genes involved like your genetic code and the genetic material involved in like shaping your earlobes and it's like it's so many more different pieces of genetic information or genetic material go into influencing the shape of your earlobes than go into influencing the pigment of your skin. 
And it's like, um, you know, there's such a tiny, 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 like, amount of genetic code that says right this is going to be this is going to be the pigmentation of your skin and then that it is and that like like if you look at like what we've achieved you know at the same day we're launching privateers into space there's still like this like primitive like oh that color this you know like it just seems it just seems so outrageous that that's where we still are like we're such an advanced like species in one regard and then in one regard we're just like just dumb monkeys. Well, one area that if you're talking about expertise um, that you should have a bit more insight on is the 30 for 30 doco series that just launched the Lance. Um, this yeah, obviously come on last Listen, at the end of the day, wrapping that is um, we obviously – uh, on behalf of the Social Distance Podcast, we hope that uh, everything uh, works out in the end and, and it raises awareness and everyone stays safe and, uh, you know, they, they can sort their shit out as peacefully as possible. Um, mm. The Landstocko, what, what were your thoughts? Oh, because, this is not controversial um, No, nah, we, we, we're just going to a, a different area of controversy. <laughs> um, my initial impressions were the first episode was not too bad i didn't really learn anything that i didn't already know um but episode two i don't know about you guys but geez it really fired up at the end when lance got his wumbled out i thought it was bloody fantastic do you know, do you know what i found real interesting is like lance was such a hard ass in so many ways like physically and and mentally um it's a real hard ass you know just a hard ass motherfucker and he he cut his finger on a potato peeler and it was like the word was indie. Yeah. <laughs> like that was a that was a funny scene. Because <laughs> like she's going to him, are you gonna help? Like obviously the cameraman's saying he's like baiting her, like, come on, get stuck into him. And she's like, You're gonna help with like dinner for once? And it's like, ooh, it could be a brouhaha. <laughs> and he's like, Oh yeah, yeah, I'll I'll peel the potatoes. Give me a, what do you do with this? And she goes, You tell me you've never peeled a potato? He goes, No. And I'm thinking, oh geez. This is going to end in, in tears. And sure enough, he sliced the end of his finger off. And yeah. It was game over. He must be on the rice and tuna diet day when he was amateur or something. But I think the um, the biggest thing to come out, at, particularly near the end, was how pissed he is that obviously the motivation for him to do the, the comeback was when Sastry won the tour and he thought in his head, far out, if he can win the tour, I reckon I can win this bastard clean. And that will shut them all up. Because I'm sick of people saying you doped and you know you didn't win the seven tours legit. They were saying that you know even when he was racing, but I think that whole mindset and that competitive like look at Michael Jordan was exactly the same. Couldn't stay away. Michael obviously didn't take EPO while he was playing basketball, but um, when he's when he's come back, he's still so pissed at Floyd Landis and how it all went down. Um, Bill, you grabbed a little snippet that. Uh, we want to run, which was uh, probably the best rant that he had in the, in the doco. The country of Italy glorifies Ivan Basso, idolizes, puts him up there, gives him jobs, invites him to races, puts him on TV. He's no different than any of us. Yet, they disgrace Marco Pantani, they destroy him in the press, they kick him out of the sport, and he's dead. He's fucking dead. The country of Germany, 
idolizes Eric Zabel or Ralph Aldock, gives them jobs, puts them on TV, invites them to races, puts them on the podium. And they disgrace and they destroy and they fucking ruin Jan Ulrich's life. Why? The country of America idolizes, worships, glorifies George Hincap, invites him to races, gives him jobs, buys his shit, and they disgrace and destroy me. That's why I went. Because that's fucking bullshit. He, he's so good to listen to, eh? <laughs> I, think, I think there's a big difference, Lance, between you and George. Like That's what I was going to say. Like George didn't sue people that came out and told the truth. They you know? were... They, those people were, were I, I think, yeah, Auric. Auric um, was the same as Zabul and that Basso was the same as Pantani and stuff. But Lance was the same as all of those people in only one way mm. was, the, was the doping. He mm. wasn't the same as those, people, as those people in any other way. No. No. No way. Um, it's funny. The, um, I remember <clears throat> when we used to cover the tours back in the day and um, there was – Murmurs like we were at the tour in 2010 when the whole Landis allegations come out, and he did his interview on 60 Minutes. And my initial reaction was I just felt sick because the way Landis was talking about um, Lance Dopey and that, you could tell he was telling the truth. You can instantly tell when people are talking shit or not. Um, and I remember that's when he was defending himself with, um, you know, we know our credibility. He lost his credibility a long time ago. All those sort of stuff. Um, but we, as media, we couldn't ask one question about doping back then because if you asked Lance, even if it was to respond to someone like Landis or whatever, that's it. They black ban you. There was a there was a black book that they basically put your name in. You couldn't get one interview. So that meant that you know we just interview when we do coverage. We just ask fluff questions. It was almost embarrassing. Like I've got a. I got a little sample of like back then in 2010 on his last tour. I actually did the last interview ever with Lance at the Tour de France on the Champs Elysees, and it was just fluff. Like it's not journalistic; it's it's just crap. Um, here's an example. And finally, mate, from an Australian perspective, now that you've announced you're not coming to the Worlds, we're all gutted because you know you're massive back home. Uh, have you thought about having your fifth child in Australia? That way, everyone wins. You can go to the Worlds. You might get dual citizenship. I'll give you Anna's phone number. You can call her and talk to her about that. We'll get the Prime Minister to call her directly and we'll organise something. Okay. Since this morning, we've spoken to the Prime Minister of Australia. Prime Minister. And she's put the offer up. If you want to have the fifth child in Australia, dual citizenship, we'll roll out the red carpet. And I have no problem with that. I told you to go talk to Anna. It's not, you know, she's the one who's carrying the... the What's the vibe? Do you think Anna will go for it? 50-50. They're good odds, mate. They're good odds, mate. 50-50. Now- I, I got two questions. Two questions. How you? The, first, the, the first question is, did you get Anna's number? And secondly, how steam were you? Wait, can you just say Australia for me? Just Australia. Say- Australia. Okay. So you obviously, at some point hey. in your life, you realised you were saying Australia. Yeah, I... You talked about how you struggled to listen to yourself on audio. I struggled to listen anything pre probably 2014. I think that time living in Europe de Aussie my voice a bit. Um, I was very ocker back in those days. Oh, man, but ha- ha- how good was my research when I said you can have your fifth child in Australia? Like you'd only had um, three up until that point, so it would have been. <laughs> <laughs> it could have been twins, you don't know. 
But um, but the, the, the other thing is, is if you got into Lance's good side, he would literally um, pinpoint you and ride over and talk to you and you'd get grabs with him that other news people couldn't. Like the, the legitimate journos, they couldn't get interviews. Um, but yeah, we never, never had a problem. But old great. Trent and Punchy had no trouble. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I think that the difference as well with the Lance Docker and the the um, Last Dance was Jordan's production company obviously controlled the narrative, whereas Lance didn't have as much control on this. He was just the interview subject. So, do you think um, watching the the series, how do you think he comes out looking, Bules? Uh I don't know because everybody's going to have their their own opinion again on Lance, like like they always did because. I was thinking, like, when you see how, like, upset and pissed off the a lot of the American public were when he when he admitted to doping, like he, he said in the documentary, it took a number of years until that started to be vented. But ultimately, like, he was he was disgraced, like like he said in the documentary. And uh, I was a young young guy when he was winning the tour, and I looked up. To, he was like my hero, you know, like the. He was my era when I was 15 years old watching Tour de France. Like Lance is the man, Lance is the man. And then when he when he admitted to doping, I was upset as well. But like as I got older and became more heavily involved in the sport, I I sort of understood more about that era, that era of cycling, which was which was completely different to the current era. Um, and then so when he admitted, I was like, I'm not really surprised now, you know. But the general public of America, they were they were genuinely like. What the fuck, man? Like, mm. we thought you were the exception to the rule. You've done all this amazing stuff for cancer and all that stuff. Um, so I think uh, after watching that 30 for 30, some people might think, okay, yeah, he's redeemed himself in some sense with uh, apologizing to people and he's got um, his story across in some ways. But he still he still portrayed that, that he, he's, a, he's a better guy now than what he was in the early 2000s or the 90s or whatever. But he's still got that mongrel in him, you know? Still, it's still in there. It's so weird though because people always seem to need to find a way to like need to need to have this like sense that they need to reach the conclusion that either he's a good guy, or he's a bad guy, or like he did this much good but he did minus this much bad. Is you know is he in the plus or in the bad? But like he did a lot of good stuff. He did a lot of bad stuff. And like, would you be riding a bike if if you didn't? Both of us rode for his development team. Both of us. Um, probably started road cycling because of him like i just don't feel like there's a, a need for the public to to we take each thing on its merits or on its on its faults like it doesn't need to be like there's no it's, equation for, for, for good versus bad or whatever there was some bloody good things you look at he's changed the face of cancer uh, of cancer treatment of of how many people how many people did this started riding a bike because of him when they found out he was doping then when oh well, he was doping, so I put my bike in the shed and get fat again, or whatever you know. Like there's there's still a lot of positives. Well, you you you've only got to look at how much money the Tour de France has made from him bursting on the scene. So they mm. went in terms of TV coverage, like the price went through the roof. Um, and how many crowds, like internationals, would make the trek over to France yeah. just to, on the side of the road? I, I was there in 2005 to cover at the time, his seventh win. And it was unbelievable the amount of Americans that were on the side of the road that year. And then the next year, the, there was hardly any. I was having this discussion with somebody the other day in, in the team about a completely different subject. Um, 
and I I said, you know what? Like, yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a subject about yeah about our writers' unions and how we can improve them or, or how we can make them better or whatever. And it's quite a tiresome subject, and for people who are passionate about wanting to to create a better union for our for our, for our cycle for our, for our bike riders or whatever, it's frustrating. But I said to him, I was like, you know what? I just I don't really care about what happened. Yeah, you could be bitter at those guys because they put our sport in a bad light or whatever. But actually, like, it's in the past. I now as a bike rider, my number one goal is to leave the sport better than when I found it. You know, and. When I say that, I don't mean from a performance enhancing side of things. I mean from creating a better union, creating uh, more opportunities for bike riders to have a, have a bigger voice in the sport, to creating events, to creating mass participation events, to doing whatever. And that's our duty right now. And it's only for a short period of time. It's for 10 or 15 years. But I think everybody, it's like the All Blacks. You wear the number seven jersey. You want to leave that number seven jersey better than when you found it. And that's what, exactly what we should bike riders should be doing now and not focusing on what happened then. But here do we you, are talking about plants. <laughs> just, just one final thing though is is the overall negative takeaway from this is the general um, person who's not a mad cycling fan who only hears bits and pieces about the Tour de France, they can't mentally separate eras. Like they see this mm. doco that mm. just come out and then they meet you at a, at a function at the end of the year like a kiwi bloke and say like, ah you're, you're all like lance hey yeah and i get can't... that though. i actually get that at home that... sometimes they'll be like you know it's like you go through the whole process of the chat like oh what do you do i'm a cyclist like, yeah what do you do for money oh, no i'm a cyclist and then you say like oh tour de france yep tour de france oh you guys are all on drugs eh and like i don't think they understand that at that moment you just want to like smash your glass of beer over their head and like you know but they just think they're being like fun they just think they're being funny and they they, they go oh what's wrong with that what's, what's up that guy's ass when you just turn around and walk off you know and they go oh man that guy's an arrogant bastard and you're like you've got no idea what you're just you, you know and how do you explain it though how do you explain the different eras because like i'm not a cyclist and we're even working with the team people used to say to me back in australia oh well, what was it like did you see blokes like getting on the juice and that. I'm like, no, nah, mate, it's a totally different era nowadays. And they go, yeah. what do you mean? I go, well, they just, no one's doing it really. And 100% you can't say, oh, well, everyone, because, it, you know, no one knows. But you look yeah. at the protocols and that, and then you, you have this 20-minute conversation about how it's evolved. Um, but most people don't have that time. You know, if yeah. there needs to be sort of better understanding as to the eras, I think. Because or do you just go, do you just go, fuck it like whatever okay mm. you guys think that and and i go i sleep well at night and my you know uh, the people are at there's a thing that also like i actually started thinking about a while ago like it was coming up with other stuff about other shit and i was like oh well as long as like my family and my friends and to some degree your peers or your colleagues or whatever you know your people you race against if you've got the respect of them what Act, uh, you know, it's nice to have the public and like you or whatever, but like, does it does it actually matter? You know, and, and if 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 there's a couple of bogans and NZ that think that you're on drugs and you go, you know, they're you're just so uneducated and you go, oh, well, you're never going to be able to stop that. Yeah, Ever. hate is going to hate. Hate is going to hate. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Um, well, um, I just wanted one last thing just to finish off on that doco was, you know, Betsy on Andre or whatever, she was like the 
it's a big antagonist or whatever you want to call her throughout this throughout that for the last like 10 years about all this shit. you know she was had so many stones to throw at lance like then they got her on the documentary she had a chance to like just her dirt or her truth or whatever you want to call it and the best you could come up with was lance was an asshole because they went to an, a restaurant in italy and he got pissed off that the service was slow mate that's i do that all the time yeah i i was thinking <laughs> the same thing i was thinking that's not a big yarn like no i was like whoa whoa fuck, he's a badass <laughs> which, which, really liking a lot of those people you know like really liking like hamilton i already really liked Vanderbilt already as an as a guy. Yeah, he's a, a ripper. Real, mm. Nice guy, but I, I, you know, I found myself like hearing Lander speak and I, all. I, you know, like I think it was just because I'm just so bloody horny to get back into a bike race that you see all these bike races going on and like you know all this that that world again and you're kind of like ah oh, this. Like I was telling girls the other night, I was playing the game because I was watching it with Caitlin and like a voice would come on, and it would the voice would start before the the um person would come up and it was like a voice would start and i'd be like basso and it would come up even basso and we just nailed all of them and it's just so weird like watching this documentary about like team your you know like your old teammates i rode with those guys and like trained with some of them and like all the stuff is just so weird that like there's this big documentary and you just think it's like cycling such a small world over here in Girona because everyone lives within a cave of each other and then Here's this massive sports document. You know, it's just, it's just. Look, such at, a, look at, look at the smile on your face. Yeah, it's just exciting. It's just exciting. <laughs> Thinking about Tour de France again, I don't know. Exciting times. Hey, what's the latest with all that? Because in round five, they reckon they're going to have um, limited crowds coming back to NRL games. Oh, I see um, the Warriors. Did you see the Warriors about an hour ago? They yeah. win or lose, mate. We got pantsed. Oh, who would like, you play, like, Storm? One good Pants. week in the May. No, I've I've kept the faith, but like, just they just like that as well. Eighteen or six nil or something. Let's um, let's talk about most shit because this is gonna be a long party. Yeah, otherwise, yeah. All right. yeah. Like I said last week, I got nowhere to be, so it doesn't matter. We're gonna do. Let's do um, yeah. Let's go away from controversial um people for a second, and right. step. And so we'll we'll say the legend for Berlin for last. Eh, we'll do the legend of Berlin for last, and it's gonna be a ripper. Right. I'm looking forward to this one. But we've been asked um, week after week after week by uh, a number of the listeners, uh, one in particular, can't remember his name, but anyway, mate, we've, we've finally listened to you for once, and we're going to name our Dream Tour of Southland team. And we, we, we set some ground rules, George and I, so they're quite simple ground rules. We have to have seven riders in a team. Uh, you cannot have we. I can't have George, and George can't have me. But you have to be in your own team, so that takes it to six riders. Then you have to have two internationals, so that's three riders, and those two internationals have to have ridden Tour of Southland at some point in their careers, and then you can have the rest as Kiwis. And the parkours are the original Tour of Southland route, time trial to Riverton, uh, Crown Range, and Bluff. And then the traditional Tiano. No, black, and Black Mount to Tiano. That's traditional. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah, that's in there every year, though. That's should, I leave this, should I leave the stream for five minutes? Oh, you want to go, <laughs> go for a piss or something? Yeah, I'll grab a Diet Coke or something. <laughs> All right. All right. Go for it. Okay. So, George, do you want me to I'll kick off, eh? Or you want to kick off? No, I'll kick off. So, what, I what like we're going to have a lot of double ups. But, yeah. Um, yeah, there's going to be there's bound to be double ups. There's bound to be double ups. But what we'll do is I'll I'll name my seven, 
and you name your seven. And then between those two, we'll create, maybe we'll cr quickly create a team. That, okay. Is your team angled at performance, like who would do the most damage, or is it more an iconic? Because I've gone for more of a, a, a quintessential Tour of Southland team. Who, you know, okay. uh, iconic, um, just who you think of Tour of Southland, you think of these guys. Okay, I've, I've gone. I've gone pretty much performance based. Okay, so that's a bit good mix. So, should I kick off? I'll kick off. Yeah, so, kick off. okay, in my seven, and you can have a couple of notable admissions as well if you like. So, I've got obviously I've got myself because that's one of the rules. Then I've got um, Rowley, yeah, the king of the modern modern era of, of Southland. I've gone Jesse Sargent mm. uh, because he's just a fucking hitter. He's up for the. He'll probably win the. He'll win the TT. He's handing the crosswinds. Yeah, the problem with the problem with Jesse Sargent in there is that he might get fired from his team with one stage to go and leave you a man down for the final run into Winton. Nah, because he'll be in our team and he he'll do he'll do the right thing. And um, <laughs> so we, we can't have too much discussion about this. Let me name it. So I got me, Roly, Jesse, Goose Daddy. Then I've gone for obviously the all-time great from Tour of South and Chucky Fowler, Brian Fowler, eight eight victories to his name. Seven victories. Uh, then I've gone for a, a sprinter, just for those sprint stages. And also, he's bloody handy in the crosswinds. He's never going to miss a split. So I've gone with Hendy, Greg Henderson. And then, as it, I come to my internationals, I've gone uh, Stefan Kung, who from Switzerland, rides for front side at the moment. He was second in the World Champs last year, or third in the World Champs last year, sorry. Um, and shocking conditions in Yorkshire. So he, he'll handle Southland beautifully. And then for my final international, it was quite a difficult one, but I thought I need to have a climber in there. Um, obviously, I've got a pretty crosswind-heavy sort of team, which normally works in your favourite Southland, but I've chucked a climber in there who's also pretty handy in the crosswinds. And actually, he's only he's one of the very few internationals um, that's actually won the Tour of Southland, uh, and that's John Leachman from America, and he's won it two or three times, I think. All right. That's a, that's a pretty good seven. So if I'm... Your seven up against my seven is is well. I think we're pushing shit uphill. So I've I've opened the order with um, with Brian Fowler. Seven wins, everyone you know, standard. And again, from your list, the only two double ups we've got is I've then also got Hayden Rolston because he's been there every time. He's won every time I've ridden or gone close. Um, then number three for me is Gordon McCauley. Gordy. Um, Good to see him in there. Price uh, of entertainment at the dinner table as well. He was, yeah, exactly. He was born in Gore, which is the gay capital of New Zealand, I believe. <laughs> um, <laughs> he uh, number four is myself. Um, to my internationals, I've gone Chris Horner. He rode in two thousand. Horn dog. I uh, like it. I like it. And then I've gone Floyd Landers just because I feel like Landers. So, uh, and then rounding out my orders, the number number seven was a tough spot, and I needed just an all-round good domestique. And the person I actually think of Southland a lot is the only time I ever race this person is at Tora Southland, um, and he's synonymous for New, with New Zealanders in the Tora Southland. There's a guy called Jonathan Atkinson, Aki, from Auckland. He's rounding out my seven. Uh, noticeable, notable admissions on my part were uh, Heath Blackgrove, Jason Allen, um, and Michael Vink. Old Akimov, he is such a legend. He he won. Um, he actually won a stage, Aki. 
Yeah. Yeah. Green Riwi was also one of my. Oh, Riwi. Uh, did a Riwi. Yeah. <laughs> I, my noticeable admissions were uh, Horn Dog as well, actually. Yeah. Um, Gordy. Absolutely yep. Gordy. Uh, raced a lot of South with him, and I, I love that guy. And ba Jack Bauer. Oh, and nice. the last notable admission, who I'd like to actually bring up with you, George, because he had a fan question about this. This is Jeremy Yates. He um, he was a bloody good Southland rider. I think he, he's definitely won it before. Uh, he's been very close a number of other times. No, he did, the, the, the time he nearly won. No, he won, nearly... With, he won with Share the Road, I'm sure. Oh, right. You're right. Yeah. Oh, yes. And um, anyway, but he this question came up for you, George, from um, one of the fans. He won up Crown Range one year. He beat you, actually. And he, he crashed at the bottom of Crown Range, and you, you attacked him, I think. You did the old... You know, you were going, but you 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 were at war. You were at lockerheads lock with with Yatesy for for a little while if, there, weren't you? So the, the boys want to hear the story about what right. was what was that all that all that about? So firstly that day, so me and Jeremy were were going up for the win, and yeah, the motorbike hit him. And the, the only mistake I made that day was I half went. I I sort of half attacked, but didn't. I kept riding, sort of sped up, but was like, oh, do I wait? I don't know what's happening. And ended up actually losing to him on the line, getting second. And uh, it had all started a long time before. The first time I ever met him, actually, was in this tour of, tour of vineyards, a little race in my town. And I just started road cycling. I was a mountain biker. And we went straight out of town up this hill. And at the top was, was six guys left. And I was like, he was probably 26 or 27 or something. And I was 17 or 16 or something. I don't, I don't know the age, but he was, he was in his prime and I was just starting. And all I'd known, I didn't know anything. I just can't believe the shit I used to do when I was young. And all I'd known was that this guy had been popped for doping in, you know, a few years earlier or three years earlier. And and I didn't I just had no respect for anybody or anything. And um we had this I was on the river and I wouldn't roll through with this six man group that had just ridden away. And he started screaming at me to roll. And we, we got to the feed zone and he went to get his his bottle. From the feeder on the side of the road, and I just rode up to his feeder and smacked the bottle out of her hand. <laughs> and then I was looking back, I go, "What was I doing?" But then what followed was he then got me in a headlock, um, got me in a headlock, and started like pulling me off the bike as I was as we were riding up to Lake Road 80, and I just couldn't get out of it. And I managed to like wriggle out of it, and then just stayed clear of him for the rest of the day. And he won the stage, and I was like sixth or seventh or something. And and then it started it. And then from then on, we just were at war. And uh, so it escalated and we had that run in at Southland that time. And then the very next day we were riding into Tiana and it was started pissing down with rain. And he took his rain jacket off and it got caught in the spokes and he went sort of ass over tip and crashed. And back then I was running like a blog spot for like, you know, I had like sponsors and stuff. And I was like, Vorb or something. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I had a little story. WordPress. Just doing like a daily rundown of like races and this. I just said, oh, you know, I just had to put in some shitty thing like, um, that's karma, mate. And you know, in there, and then it just it just escalated from there. And we, we just locked horns for the next like two or three years. <laughs> mate, he, he was Jeremy Jeremy Yates is a real like he's a real um quintessential New Zealand bike rider, eh? Because we're all we're all a bit the same, we're all a bit tarnished from the same brush. Like well, I really like I yeah, I really liked Jeremy, and like, but I didn't initially when I was younger because he had this like reputation. Him and his brother have been these like 
his brother more so than Jeremy, being this badass. And I had a run in with him the Morinsville Open when I was about 15 years old and just about scared me from riding a bike ever again in my life. But like, <laughs> as, you, as you grow up, you like, we all went through that same stuff. Like, we all, we all like just fiery and we're through a south and we're just getting up people and like, didn't matter who they were, you know, you're yeah. getting up. I remember getting up Roly once on a blog when I was 15 years old, no fucking idea what I was doing, you know, and then that kicked off a bit. Now we're like best mates, but like, it was, he's a real, I look back on Jimmy Yates with like quite a bit of fondness because I was like, oh, I just yeah, like, yeah, I love I that bit of mongrel in him. I love that bit of mongrel in him because we all have it, you know. Did you I make, make peace with him, George? Well, we talked in nationals a few years later and I turned pro and he was friendly enough. And, it, you know, I, I, it's no, it just, it's something I laugh about. I don't look back and go, oh, I'm fucking going to pull that, put that guy in here. You know, it's yeah, I, I reckon, it's if, I reckon I just, if you, what was I doing? I smacked this, I smacked. He went to get a feed from his feeder, and I rode up and smacked the bottle out of her hand and told him to. Yeah, that off. is way worse than Armstrong complaining about a pizza being late. If, oh. you, if you want to paint a dog act, that's how. To put this in context, I was sixteen or seventeen, and he must have been about twenty-five or twenty-six. So imagine that you're like, you're a twenty-six, twenty-seven-year-old, and a, a school kid, like middle years of school, rides up and smacked. Like, I would hate I, to have I jumped on a I jumped on a French guy in a feed zone once in an amateur yeah, race. You, yeah, you've had a you've had a headlock story. Tell me, talk talk us through. What this happened? Oh, it was more than a headlock. It was more than a headlock, mate. I um I was in the feed zone in this amateur race in France on my first year first year in France, like 2006 or something. And I was riding through this feed zone, and we're in a line, and I just pushed the French guy. I just pushed him in forward so that I could squeeze him behind him so that I could get my feedback. And like as I pushed him, he he must have thought I was pushing him aggressively. I probably was, and he um he unclipped his foot and kicked my handlebar, and then I like I'm, I managed I managed to hold it up, and I was like, mate, you don't do that to a boy from Rotorua, and I just sprinted up to him, and I just unclipped, took my hands off my handlebars, and just jumped off my bike straight on top of him, and just took him down, <laughs> and, and and then I picked him up, and then I just punched him like. <laughs> three or four times in the face and then and then i and then like i he got up and he rode off and then i went to get my bike and the commerce here was standing by my bike he's like nah, <laughs> you're out mate <laughs> he just gave me the cross it's like you say that new zealand it's almost like we're taking the piss when we get on a bike like go to south and everyone's like you kind of expect it like you would just put call you would just say like even in club racing or even on training rides, like one of my best friends in the world, Kieran Hambrook, and he, we would get on the bike and he'd start lapping through and he would be like, what are you doing, you pussy? Like screaming at me to roll through and like, just like a Tuesday night race or something. Or you go to Southland and you're not like, it's no animosity afterwards. It's just like we get on the bike and oh, it's like two hours a day was, you can be a psycho. There's plenty, there's plenty of animosity with this guy. I still remember <laughs> his name. I'm not going to say it, but... Um, we went to Is dinner that night and they had to, no, no, they had to um, separate our tables and everything. And I was just like staring at the right table, like, oh, I have another crash if you want, mate. <laughs> we can never. <laughs> I used to get it in France where they used to, when I was riding, and they used to, um, like, me and Wade Mangum, a good Kiwi mate of mine, good mate of yours, he was also a rotor boy, a lot of mongrel in him. And we used to not do ourselves any favors racing in France and didn't make many friends. And there was one race where we got 
separated you know i was in the front group he was in the second group and and i was kind of like sitting on waiting so that he could get across to us we'd always race together and the frenchies in the front had already hated us from the weeks before and they just saw this opportunity that i was just isolated small girls isolated and they just started like being psychos like running off the road and eventually a guy just pulled my helmet right over my eyes i couldn't see i rode straight into a drainage ditch where wade caught me we chased back and then wade climbed into him. <laughs> Um, other random cycling news. I see Bules, they're retesting the samples from the 2017 Tour de France. Um, looks like Mitchell and Scott are fine because they did fuck all. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. They did that, you're right. So you're pretty safely say she's yeah. all, all clear. <laughs> Wait, didn't, um, you ride, didn't Simon ride GC that year? Or, or, oh, oh, yeah. I think he was pretty right. Um, was he? Anyway, look, we're, we're about you to clock over You killed the joke, wanker. mate. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I just yeah, no, wanker, right? what I you got to learn to... What about that guy? And just, like, you gotta, you got to sort that microphone out no, as well. I don't, I don't think the Yates did any good that year. I think okay. they were way off. Yep. Can we get up um, Pro Cycling Stats have a quick little look? Yeah. No, look, guys, we're, we've just about to take over an hour, and we All need right. to... Um, Do the balance. Yeah, of Legend of Balance. This is a cracker. I'm looking forward to this one. Um... We had a lot of, we, for the first time, the listeners did reach out to us and send us a lot, actually a lot of suggestions. So we'll probably work our way through those over the next few weeks. But today we're going to focus on Warney, Shane Warne. So he, he's obviously had an illustrious career. He reinvented the, the leg spin. He was uh, argu- arguably the, the greatest bowler of all time, spin bowler of all time. Uh, he's had some bloody escapades off the field as well. He's engaged to Liz Hurley. He loves a bit of poker. He loves a Siggy. Um, He's got a he's got a big palmare. So, boys, to the panel, legend or bell end? Well, mate, how can you say he's a bell end? He's he's one of the greatest ever cricketers in the Wisden um, team of the all time best team or whatever they call it. Um, just have a look at this delivery. Uh, this is my favourite Warney wicket when he clean bowled Strauss behind the legs. Shane Warne. He's made a few batsmen look a bit foolish over the years, and there's no disgrace in Andrew Strauss looking a bit foolish, but he did here. The ball of the century. Yeah. Have you seen that the, they, they, the, the wicket that's been sort of surpassed as the ball of the century from the Indian kid? That hoops yeah. it ah. wide, sends it back in and hits the middle of the leg stump? No, I haven't uh, seen it. Mate, like Warney, yeah, he, he was an absolute legend of a cricketer. Like he, I think he had over he had over seven hundred Test wickets, around three hundred ODI wickets. So that's over over a thousand wickets. Um, and he, yeah, there's un, undoubtedly there's no doubt that he was. Although I will say quickly on that, we me and Hippy named our during the lockdown our world our world Test eleven from the, like the last past thirty or forty years, mm. and I actually didn't put Warney in. As a spinner, I put Muralitha in and, and a couple a lot of controversy for that. Oh, the chucker. Yeah. Um uh anyway, I, I got a I got a good little story I found about I have heard this story before actually, but I found it on the internet today. And it's uh it was in when Michael Clark, who had just come in and on the side note, he's a he's a balling, um, he just came into the team and he they were doing like a training camp, three day training camp somewhere, and they were going camping, I think, and and they 
the coach at the time said to them, like, hey, you can only have six items of clothing with you, you know? Um, so you can have three. Oh, I actually read it here. He said, okay, for the cap, the players were allowed to carry two T-shirts, a pair of pants, a pair of joggers, a cap, three pairs of socks, and three pairs of undies. Ward, however, was in no mood to budge, making it clear that he would not travel without his beloved smokes. An agreement was reached when the coach asked Warren to replace a piece of clothing with every cigarette pack he, every cigarette he put in the pack. Warney flicked his three pairs of undies, flicked his three pairs of socks, and put six packs of darts in, and off he went. In the middle of the bush, sleeping bag only, no cover, no shelter, on the ground, and it was pitch black, Clark said. All you could see was this little orange light coming from someone's sleeping bag, and it was Warney just sucking back on his dart. <laughs> Yeah, he he got um paid like two hundred thousand Aussie from Nicaret to give up the bungers. And there was this whole media pressing and he was going, nah, that's it. He's butting the dart out and he's doing these ones. And someone took a photo of him like three weeks later sucking on a gasper like out the back of some building and it that had to rip up his uh, contract because he couldn't oh. even give up the darts. Um, but I remember in the in the late 90s, Warney had this sort of pull with the, the particularly the crowd in Melbourne. So it was around the time, remember when one day internationals, like, you know, there'd be 80,000 people there. This was probably the, the last era where um, before the crowd started dying off. And this particular game, I remember Australia were going to, um, we're playing England and we we're going to get the runs, no worries. And and all the crowd were getting restless. And this is before they started restricting um, booze. Like the if you go to a night match now, you can only get mid-strengths. But back then, people used to drink heavies and, you know, they'd sneak in bourbons and, you know, it was just a free-for-all. So the crowd were getting restless and, and they started doing the, the Mexican wave. And it started with some hero throwing like a bit of food in the air as the wave went round and then the next time it went round some more stuff went in the air literally within a minute the wave turned into this mass of people throwing booze and hot dogs and I was sitting next to Lizard and he copped a hot dog from the fourth tier just exploded on his head um, I had a white shirt on just covered with bourbon but we were having the greatest time just piercing ourselves laughing and it got so rowdy that um they stopped the game. They literally had to say, right, we've got to stop this. But the wave kept going and they thought, how do we solve this? And they literally went to Warney. Warney had to come out onto the ground. I've got a little snippet here. I think it's asked Shane Warne to ask the crowd to settle down. <laughs> He's going to put the helmet on. <laughs> no, it's not funny really, but uh, what a personality shame woman. It's very sad. Um, oh, mate, how, how, how good commentator is like, oh, he's going to put the helmet on. It's <laughs> not, not, not funny. It's not funny. It's actually not that funny. <laughs> um, that was when they started banning the Mexican wave. Um, and you literally, I got kicked out one time. I went to sit in Bay 13 a year later with uh, all my mates from Sale. And uh, I got to about three on the countdown. It always starts with one Nuffy that goes, 10, 9, 8. Yeah, I got to three and literally had two security, like, Grab me by the scruff and and throw me out. Um, 
and they read your rights when you're at the front. They say, you've been kicked out of the ground. If you try and get back in, it's going to be trespassing. Like, uh, it's serious shit if you get booted from the, oh, the cricket. It's still, it's still illegal to this day to do a Mexican wave at ODI. Oh, they, they stopped it after that game. They literally said, you know, Melbourne crowds got out of control. Um, we can't do the waves anymore. But um, a couple, couple other things that Warney's done that makes him not so much of a legend, although it sort of goes seems to go part and parcel with um, cricket, uh, is he, he actually was done, not for match-fixing, but he, he and Mark War in 94 in Sri Lanka, they tipped off an Indian bookmaker um, on the pitch conditions and the weather conditions uh, so that they could they could create their odds or whatever they wanted to do. And he he, uh, he he basically got away with that. It was a 94. It didn't come out till 98, but he him and War were fined straight after that game and, and life carried on as normal. But he did dabble a little bit in that uh, at a we lower test, end of the scale. He tested pause for a diuretic as well. Yeah, at the World Cup. Yeah, World Cup. He said it was given to him by his mum because he wanted to lose weight. Yeah, and it was like just for fluid or something. Yeah, because he was, was just being dehydrated as hell isn't going to like, you know. Yeah, I don't know. Warning on the list for unless it's you know it could be a masking agent, I guess. But um, it's just strange that 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 that's the hill they. They took him up on it's, it's funny when he was with Liz Hurley how fit and skinny he got. Like he was mm. starting to look crook. Like he was starting yeah. to look like a piece of leather luggage at one point there. Like just gaunt. Mm. He like he got all the work done to get, get hold of Liz. And then then she bailed on him and then he's just left with all this like he's had a bit of work done, hasn't he? Morning. And yeah, and, and I heard a couple of years ago that um he was on Tinder when they were in um Adelaide covering the test and his profile was like it was just a photo warning and he wrote underneath, Yes, this is me. Like this is no joke. And, that's uh, that's legend that's legend status. Yeah, well he just got inundated. Is that uh, what is that what you run, Julie? Like, yes, this is me. Yeah, you should. <laughs> I just put at the social distance podcast on my Tinder profile. <laughs> um, he he uh, he loves he loves he's a he's a great commentator as well. Like I, the one of my highlights of going back to New Zealand in the summer is to watch the Big Bash. Although it's basically last summer it was sort of forced down our throats for a long period of time, but I love it. And he he's a he's a great commentator, Warney. I love him, and like I'd love to get him in the box with um, with Steve War because he ha- he hates them. Oh, they yeah, hate each other. Say. He has never forgotten being dropped um, for Stewie McGill. I think yeah. it was on a tour of West Indies or whatever. Um, yeah, it was. And then he came back and, you know, was obviously better than ever once he got going. But but that was a uh, – it was a bit of a two- or three-year period where Warney got really fat. And I don't know if it, the fat fingers – like, he couldn't get as much tweak. And then, like, you know, like his shoulder was bung and he, he had to let go of the flipper. And um, once he got himself into some better nick um, – yeah, he was he was much better. Like I, I, I still reckon that series in 05, the Ashes was. He seemed mm. to play way better when his personal life was going down the the gurgler. Whereas some sports would go the other way. You need no. I think that your sportsmen need demons. You know, you need you need to like it's like what the office for build up a a repertoire of demons and then you then feel so shit about yourself that you just train really hard for for a few months and sort your shit out. No. Yeah. Hey, um, that's oh, one, Steve, that's one way of looking at it. Yeah. <laughs> that's one way to justify <laughs> what you do, George. Yeah. yeah. One way to justify it. Demons. 
All right. <laughs> that works for you, mate. Yeah. <laughs> Keep um, building up those demons. Yeah, because that Steve War thing that came up because I saw I read an article the other day about how Steve War was he's the the culprit of the most runouts in, in world cricket. So he's been run out. Or he's been involved in 102 runouts, and mm. 73 of those were for his partner. And mm. that's when and that's when the the feud started again because Warney came in and tweeted like, "Yeah, yeah, he was the most selfish cricket player I ever played with." Mm. And there was the also the the running Warney had with Steve Wall when um, Tagger wanted to wear the baggy greens to Wimbledon to support Pat Rafter. And Warney's going, I'm not wearing my fucking baggy green to Wimbledon. That's stupid. I wear it on the ground and that's it. And Targo ended up getting most of the team to wear the baggy green except for Warney. Yeah, and it's like the same as when they won the World Cup and um, whatever year they won it and everyone was in their playing kit and Warney was just in his tracksuit holding the trophy. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a he's rebel. Just a, he's just a rebel. He's easy. All right, let's vote then. Yeah. Well, I don't he's, a legend. You, he's a legend. He's a all-star legend, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a legend. Oh. Someone, someone wrote in the comments about Warney saying that as was as Warney the first one on the segment that was was a legend that became a ballant. No, he's still a legend. No, 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 no. no. In fact, legend. when when you post this episode, um, tag Warney. Um, I, I reckon he's the sort of bloke that doesn't mind listening to um, praise and people saying yeah. how much of a yeah, legend he is. So. You know, when you when you've you've pose it with a question mark, um, legend or valiant, that he's, you know, he's not going to sit through an hour 11 of dribble of us. Well, that tour of Southland bit, I reckon that would be enough for Wardy to go, fuck this. Yeah. <laughs> but also, like, we don't need to listen. We, we just need the numbers. We just need the starts, mate. Listen to 30 seconds. That's all we need. Yeah. Can you get can you get Warney to retweet it? Yeah. Let's, that's our challenge. That's a challenge. That's a challenge yeah. this week. Challenge this week. How can we start each week just setting like a little challenge of some big names to to get behind the potty? Promoting yeah. to, to promoting to Julian Assange's um, supporters group. That was a good one last week. Yeah, I'll do that hey, again. I'll promote hey, this episode on AustralianCricket.com or something. I think you boys are due to do a like your old school format uh, yeah. outside the boardroom and do a hard hitting interview. Yeah, let's do one next week. Maybe with some activists in America or something. Mm. Yeah. Get to oh, the it's... bottom line of what the hell's going on over there and put some opinions on it. <laughs> we should um, we should do it next week, eh? We'll get a guest on. George was on a podcast uh, a couple of days ago with a friend, good friend of ours, Wynn Masters, who's a, he's a downhill mountain biker, and he's he's a mad dog, man. He's got shitload of followers on social media. He does pretty famous for his Wheelie Wednesday and all these other tricks he does on his bike, and he's just he's a hard case. So he'd actually be a good guy to have a, have a yarn to. Um we could also get some other bigger guests, I reckon. Um, mm. We'll um, we'll see how we go. All right, all right, boys. I really need to take a piss. So, thanks for that. Just to just to finish off our cricket quickly. Do you know the nickname Mark War's nickname? Junior. No. Afghanistan. Afghanistan. The Forgotten War. <laughs> <laughs> right, no <now>, boys. <laughs> <laughs> right, see you, mate. All see right. you. Later. All right.